I decided last podcast to refer to myself as the NHL outsider, mostly because those connected sources I rely on are always called NHL insiders. I want to note my independent vantage point for as long as I guess it's true. The accountability I can only have is for myself and what's put out with my actual name content-wise. Six degrees of separation. If the sport of hockey doesn't bring out the best and worst microcosm for society more than any other sport, please give me examples to the contrary. Powerful ad campaign to promote getting racism out of the game released this month by the Hockey Diversity Alliance. And as Boston retires the first player of color, Willie O'Ree's jersey number versus Carolina this past Tuesday. Yet the same month, Arizona, AHL affiliate Tucson Roadrunners, Boko Imana, had a racist gesture by San Jose Barracuda forward Christoph Rabic, January 12th. I'm not sure that's Christoph's proper enunciation of his name because I've never heard of him and I hope to as quickly forget him. I do know who Arizona prospect Boko is. He is near to an NHL-ready prospect for Arizona. During Arizona's training camp before this season began, I would have put him on the list of players who legitimately could make the Arizona NHL team. And if covering eight teams is a daunting enough task for one person, as I'm doing, it's not an excuse. There is never an excuse to not speak out against racism, ever. Even if you could say it's six degrees of separation from what you are doing, it's still no excuse. The trouble is that racism isn't going away. In hockey, in society, it's real and even this little podcast platform, I need to speak out against it. By the weekend, another incident happened in the East Coast Hockey League that only the platform of P.K. Subban's Twitter account probably forced the issue mainstream. It was an incident involving P.K.'s brother, and P.K.'s NHL star power was able to give the issue broad reach in the hockey community and at large. It's the only way it happened. The American Hockey League suspended the racist Barracuda for 30 games for his gesture earlier this month. And that isn't nearly as severe as, well, how about a lifetime ban from any NHL and affiliated hockey team worthy ban? If you could implement a lifetime professional ban, that's where we should be on addressing this. Seems justice is near attainable only by draining someone's pocketbook these days consequences that have to include a racist inability to have employment is about the best deterrent available. But let's get some permanency to the consequences. My speaking out won't eradicate racism, but if you want change, real change, pressure on a system that protects racism needs to be put on blast. Just seems the function of celebration of the game's achievements looks fucking phony when the game still doesn't protect the minority of players playing even enough from experiencing it in the present day. Hockey needs to do better, society needs to do better, and the smallest voice to the biggest one needs to speak loud to the powers that be to make some real change. Talk is cheap. Next time the NHL puts out a paragraph supporting its minority players, how about a multi-point or 100 plus point actual action plan outlining real consequences for real change. The words of Akeem Alou on Twitter Sunday, I quote, Can we stop saying hockey is for everyone? I know that's the NHL's mantra, and it's what they want you to believe. But as we continue to witness, it's simply not true. How about we say, let's make hockey for everyone, let's admit our shortcomings, and strive for something tangible. End quote. Real words asking for real action. And in today's day and age, those two belong together. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your NHL outsider, Tim Bigley.
Trying to find a theme on a set of Central Division teams weekend games that ended up for this extended edition now including Mondays for all the focus teams is next to impossible for a fit all headline. The game's results ended up near to as expected. However, how they ended up arriving to that wasn't in a lot of games how you might expect. As a heads up, in editing each recorded team segment, this is going up while Central Division teams play Tuesday's games. The teams that didn't play Monday, I had recorded and edited Monday, but the Colorado versus Chicago and St. Louis and Calgary games time frame didn't allow me to post it prior to Tuesday's puck drop because of other things I had to do as well. The only way to have done it was to put up four teams and then the other four later, and the podcast is best all as one, in my humble opinion. However, the Colorado segment we talk about off the top was recorded second last. The NHL's hottest team right now is Colorado. Point percentage, the NHL's best team. They didn't exactly trounce basement-dwelling Montreal Saturday night. In fact, they came close to not winning at all. Colorado 3-2 home win over Montreal Saturday. Two power play goals, Colorado rookie Alex Newhook and a returning to the lineup Valerie Nishnushkin give Colorado a 2-0 lead that a late Montreal goal in the second makes it a 2-1 Colorado lead through two. Colorado's Nazem Kadri looks to get an insurance goal in the third but is clearly offside prior to scoring it. Montreal successfully challenged to negate it. Montreal gets a power play goal and on the backs of rookie goalie Caden Primo's 43 saves in regulation get the game in Colorado to extra time. 46 to 30 shots on goal for Colorado for the game. After Kale McCarr, Nazem Kadri, and Nathan McKinnon as a trio start Colorado off in overtime, Coach Jared Bednar's second group, Devon Taves, Gabrielle Landeskog, and no, not Miko Rantanen, but playing the hunch, Nishnushkin goes out, and he's the one that sets up the game-winning goal for Landeskog to score. Colorado fans can credit how good Montreal goalie Primo was. He was 1-3-0 in the games prior. Listen to the Minnesota section next. Primo didn't look good when Arizona beat Montreal in his last start prior to four goals against 12 saves, and he was pulled after 40 minutes in that game. Of course, Colorado fans didn't watch that game, nor did they watch how he played against Minnesota. The next game he's in that. Montreal since had players return. That is making them more competitive, or so we would think, asked Dallas, who lost to Montreal at home. Although, listen again to how Minnesota did against them. And that was the next day after Arizona had beat Montreal. So, I'm not sure what to make of this Montreal team, to be quite honest with you. Now, Primo is 22 years old, and probably three years too soon to be seeing NHL duty, as goalies take longer to develop. So if he plays good one night and awful another, the only issue is Montreal putting such a young goalie into that kind of spotlight way too soon. And hopefully, however it goes, it doesn't ruin Primo's NHL development curve. Let's first give credit to Coach Bednar for his OT hunch that worked. The Colorado market doesn't give enough for their coach when things go right. It might have taken top prospect rookie center Alex Newhook a bit of time in the American Hockey League before he has come back and been a solid contributor that has made the departures of Brandon Sod and Jonas Donskoy more mitigated in Colorado. He's a 20-year-old first-rounder, 16th overall pick. He is going to be a top six elite talent at the NHL level, and he has, well to me, from watching him at the World Junior Championships in 2020, the Joe Sackick intangibles to go with his skills. They're developing as well. Newhook has the hockey IQ and the big game compete and the drive. Please just quit with the Colorado found a diamond in the rough narrative for every top prospect. Newhook, like Nashville's Philip Tomasino and Winnipeg's Cole Perfetti were going to be first-round NHL selections to an NHL team. It's great it was Central Division teams that drafted all of them, but they weren't selected in the fourth round after every NHL team passed on them and made an error in judgment, and nor should they have been. They are all high-end skill players, top-identified prospects prior to their NHL draft years that will all play top six in the NHL in the prime of their respective careers. Why do non-traditional hockey markets try and diamond and the rough every first-round pick for their fans, 
yet to be an NHL regular defenseman Justin Barron, who will play top 4D when he develops, is another Colorado example. I picked Barron as Colorado's first round pick the year he was drafted in my draft preview podcast. You can go back and listen to it. He fit Colorado exceptionally in the style puck moving skills that they look for in the defenseman they draft. And he was expected to be available on most draft charts when Colorado picked late in the first round. Media needs to complement their good draft and development more and not make it sound like it's magic and it's essential to a team's NHL success. Nishnushkin stepping up into a top six role is just as valuable because someone had to make the Colorado top six as lethal as it was a year ago. On Twitter, I reminded some hockey fans there is a balance in the Colorado D group, even if the skill guys garner all the available attention. Also, Colorado picking up low-cost waiver wire forward Nicholas Obey-Kubel to be a contributing bottom six jackknife player from Philly is what makes GM Joe Sackick one of the best NHL GMs currently going. Nishnushkin's double-digit goals in the fewest games played, 23 of Colorado regulars. Newhook, meanwhile, is at 9 now in 30 games played, and Obey Kubel's six goals this year were all once he joined the Avs. That's three player pieces additionally to Colorado's star power that really found their best usage to contribute when Colorado really started taking off. Colorado, a 2-0 home win to Chicago Monday. A second period power play goal by Nazem Kadri slips past Chicago goalie Marc-Andre Fleury to open the scoring. In the third, it's a deep pinch down the wall by Devin Taves that keeps Colorado's offensive zone possession, and Miko Rantanen outweights while all alone net front to lift the insurance goal past a sprawled out Chicago goalie flurry left hung out to dry. Both goalies played stellar. Colorado goalie Pavel Francouz picks up his second consecutive shutout in a 24-save performance. Chicago goalie Flurry, two goals against 27 saves, actually made more big saves in the loss to keep the game as close as it was, especially when in the second Colorado looked to find another gear that helped control the play through the penalty that led to the opening goal. Chicago pulled Flurry, and on an offside, quickly blown down play, Colorado captain Gabriel Landestog still shot the puck into the empty net, and Colorado started playing their goal music on the non-goal. Considering both teams play a game and then each other in Chicago Friday, it certainly added unnecessary fuel to the division rivalry as Colorado extends their home win streak to 16 games. Honestly, here's my take. I generally like the compete that Landeskog plays with. That was a dick move. And the goal music in the building even more so. I just am making a mental note of it to remind myself when another team does it on Colorado and Colorado's fan base complains about it all over social media about how unclassy it is that Colorado isn't excusable from doing this stuff. Yes, it happens. And it's one of those jerk stunts because the unwritten hockey code is you don't shoot a puck when a play you know is blowing dead, especially even into an open net. Colorado, 40 games played, 29-8-3 record, 61 points, first in the Central in the Western Conference, and 762 point percentage is best in the NHL. Streak, winners of 7. Goal differential, plus 49. Colorado plays at home versus Boston Wednesday before playing in Chicago Friday. I really do think only Colorado, yes, themselves with their own play, can prevent Colorado from winning all the way to the NHL All-Star break. And I haven't really looked at their schedule after that or any of the teams. Playing down to the competition is the only way that Colorado were to lose. But it seems Colorado finds just enough to win over whomever the competition is of late. They are starting to look bored. Not as much as I am bored of watching them always win, but it's creeping into Colorado's game. Yet, trust me, I still don't want Colorado to lose to Boston saying that. 
Minnesota's on a three-game win streak, beginning with having won both the back-to-back home-and-home with Chicago, give the NHL refs an assist for the second win. Minnesota's turn to have a beneficial non-call combined with an extra call in the same play. Guess Minnesota was due for it, but we'll point it out as, remember I've said, this kind of just equals out in some weird, inexplicable way over the course of a team's 82. Minnesota 5-1 road win in Chicago Friday. Chicago can't score on an early power play taken by Minnesota's Marcus Foligno, who scores once released. Ryan Hartman gets two goals to put Minnesota up 3-0 after one. At 2-0, Chicago had another power play they couldn't get a goal on, and off a neutral zone draw, Chicago defenseman Riley Stillman takes on Minnesota's Brandon Duhame and Chicago's Mackenzie Entwistle and Minnesota's Connor Dewar's Knights, both end as they fight during the same stoppage so the second pair fighting are booted out of the game chicago defenseman stillman gets injured later and doesn't finish the game as well minnesota defenseman kaylin addison second period goal and chicago goalie mark andre flurry's night four goals against seven saves on 13 shots on goal minnesota's duhame scores on a cross crease set up by kevin fiella on chicago goalie kevin lankinen in relief before the second ends chicago's dylan strom denies minnesota goalie capo kakinen the shutout with his third period goal the lone chicago tally kakinen makes 35 saves for the win and is spoiler alert including saturday's win 5-0-1 since taking over the minnesota crease since minnesota goalie cam talbot's injury in the winter classic the shot and goal advantage for chicago 36-30 aside might make you say the difference must have been the goaltending but minnesota's grade a scoring chances to score weren't by volume but I'd hardly pin this on Chicago goalie Flurry. The Minnesota compete and usage of generating and finishing on fewer shots on goal was the difference. They made Chicago overall look like a team that couldn't match up Friday. Saturday, Chicago showed up more, and the score was reflective of that. Minnesota 4-3 overtime home win to Chicago Saturday. It's Chicago getting out to a two-goal lead, a high tip goal by Hendrik Borgstrom, inserted back into the lineup. He was a healthy scratch the game before and it probably was good he sat out. That type of bottom six goal production Chicago doesn't generate much of this year. Chicago's second goal and Alex Debrinkit power play marker. However, a late Chicago penalty allows Minnesota a power play goal with 30 seconds left in the first net front by Joel Erickson Eck. Chicago's best period versus Minnesota, and they have a one-goal, two-one lead on the road. Scoreless second, a Minnesota power play goal by the chill. Kirill Kaprizov is with 49 seconds left in the second penalty to Chicago captain Jonathan Taves. The two extra unsportsmanlike he got on a two-minute penalty after his teammate Alex Debrinkit took a late hit from behind well after possession of the puck by Minnesota's Ryan Hartman that went uncalled. That four-minute power play, after what all things being fair, should have been a Chicago power play near the midpoint of the third. That decides the game on this night. Now, how far did Chicago's Taves go at the refs for the non-call on Minnesota's Hartman prior to his actual penalty? I don't know, but it's that extra two minutes Minnesota does convert on, not the original minor penalty. Chicago goal, Borkstrom second in the paint. Minnesota required to tie the game again, and they do. Fiala 6-on-5 for Minnesota's NHL best 13th 6-on-5 goal this year. Tampa Bay, by the way, with 9, Colorado with 6, the next best in that metric. I have no issue with the coincidental overtime penalty calls to Chicago's Patrick Kane and Minnesota's Kaprizov. The hook and high sticks were penalties, and I know Minnesota play-by-play guy Anthony LaPanta tries to be most objective as much as he can. And he's one of the better ones in this regard, but Kaprizov's stick does contact and catch Kane under the chin. Pretty sure the refs got the two penalties right. I was able to watch it multiple times in fairness. Minnesota's Marcus Foligno gets the overtime game-winning goal. That, to me, again, shows as four minutes into the extra frame, Minnesota just has more depth comparatively to Chicago. And that's what pays off. Minnesota defenseman Jared Spurgeon also returned to the lineup Saturday as Minnesota looks to get more key players they have been missing from their lineup. And I continue to put Minnesota second as we go through the teams as they near 700 in point percentage. 
and continue to currently have the second best point percentage in both the Central Division and Western Conference and have games in hand that can put their actual points higher than St. Louis and Nashville, but not Colorado at present. Minnesota 8-2 home win over Montreal Monday. Montreal scores on its first shot on goal a minute 23 seconds into the game. Minnesota have two goals from Jared Spurgeon and Marcus Foligno with Joel Erickson at Park net front. Minnesota has a 21-8 shot on goal advantage after one. Minnesota's Connor Dewar's first NHL goal off the rush starts a three-goal middle frame for Minnesota. 22 seconds after, Nico Sturm scores, and late in the second, Matt Zuccarello does as well. Minnesota get a goal, pretty sure the first shot on goal in the third, by former Wild, sent to waivers and picked up by Montreal Rem Pitlick, which is followed by three more Minnesota goals, a Matt Moldy power play goal roofie, Jordy Ben's first as a wild, and on a net front scramble, Kevin Fiala's marker. Minnesota goalie Cam Talbot returned, one goal against, 14 saves through two periods. For precautionary reasons, he didn't return to play the third, and Minnesota goalie Capo Kakinen, like the Winter Classic, with one goal against, five saves, came in relief for the third period. Montreal rookie goalie Caden Primo allowed five goals against 27 saves in 40 minutes of work. Montreal put goalie Michael McNevin in his first NHL action to start the third. Three goals against seven saves in relief. Talbot lower body is not expected to miss more games. Minnesota was dominant after giving up the first goal. It was a scrappy game. Montreal center Christian Dvorak left with an unspecified injury after taking a hit by Minnesota Spurgeon. That I can't say I even remember. Montreal's Josh Anderson went after Spurgeon in the second with a cheap shot, and Anderson fought Minnesota's Ryan Hartman as a result. Late, Minnesota's Michael Pizzetta, Remember the plug that scored the goal off his face in the Dallas game that we talked about a podcast or two ago? Well, he was put out, and he took a run in the dying seconds on Minnesota defenseman Matt Dumba. That had Minnesota's Marcus Foligno jump in and ragdoll him. Six seconds left in the game. It's still not done, although on the scoreboard it clearly was. But not let go by Montreal. Jake Evans off a neutral zone faceoff repeatedly cross-checks Minnesota's Connor Dewar yet somehow both get penalties. While I should have been able to talk about Minnesota's continued effort to play the right way and generate chances and exploit the young Montreal goalies, especially glove side high on both, it turns out, Montreal's lack of compete in front of them was more responsible for the absolute blowout as one team's play was complete, the other looks lost in the woods. And while Montreal wants to show fight, The staged feel to it gave Montreal the look that they were simply sore losers after getting a 60-minute drubbing handed to them. Au revoir. Minnesota, 38 games played, 25-10-3 record, 53 points. Fourth in the Central in points, 697 point percentage. That is the second best mark in the Western Conference. Streak winners of three, goal differential 34. Minnesota are off till the weekend with a pair of road games Friday at the New York Rangers and Sunday at the New York Islanders and a game with Chicago leading up to the All-Star break after. The New York teams are playing good, or at least look good, against basement-dwelling Arizona at home, as you will hear later on in the podcast. Notably, Minnesota won't be playing the scheduled games in hand before the All-Star break. Minnesota will make up a game on St. Louis and Nashville, but still will have played less games. And therefore, the point percentage accuracy for understanding how to slot the division is the best way to currently continue to do so. Minnesota, two points behind St. Louis with four games in hand on the Blues and two points behind Nashville with five games in hand on the Preds. The Rangers and Islander road games could be viewed as measuring stick games versus good Eastern Conference teams. One with a great goalie and loads of offense, the other team defensively sound. Minnesota still has top four defenseman Jonas Brodeen out of their lineup of key regulars. If the Seattle Kraken were in existence when the movie Sleepless in Seattle had been made, maybe it wouldn't have been a film at all, because watching Seattle's inaugural season can quite honestly assist with helping you fall asleep. 
St. Louis 5-0 road win in Seattle Friday. St. Louis continues with goalie Billy Huso after coach Craig Berube went with him in the division game versus Nashville, to my surprise. Maybe it's not a surprise to anybody else. This consecutive game start, Huso delivers again. Lucky St. Louis fans aren't quick to suggest a goalie controversy like Colorado fans just on a shutout. Geez, they would have been advocating Huso be sent down to keep goalie Charlie Lindgren on the main roster if that were the case. Depth chart positioning is not lost because of injury, as Van Wilder famously said. Write that down. Seattle's 23rd-ranked NHL power play gets an opportunity that results in a St. Louis Tyler Bozak shorthanded goal to open scoring, and I just want St. Louis to keep it going so I can say at some point in this segment, Seattle pulled the cord in reference to Seattle goalie Joey Decord. St. Louis's Braden Shen's power play marker makes it 2-0. 24 seconds into the third, St. Louis's Pavel Bushnevich's even-strength goal adds to the lead. St. Louis defenseman Colton Pareko on a breakaway draws a penalty shot he makes good on. That really, St. Louis with a shorthanded goal, power play goal, even-strength goal, and penalty shot goal need an empty net goal that requires Seattle to pull the cord. St. Louis's Jordan Cairo scores less than two minutes later with a deke and short side tuck on Decord, like the puck was on a bungee cord beauty. Seattle never pulled the cord. Seattle looked like a team playing on back-to-back nights, which they were when they played Central Division teams on non-back-to-back nights. They haven't looked way better of late by comparison. Post-game, St. Louis defenseman Justin Falk admits he doesn't want to play games in Canada because of all the rules to cross the imaginary nation-state border. St. Louis teammate Bushnevich not allowed to cross as not enough days pass since him being out for COVID. So he's allowed to play in the U.S., but he still needs a few more days to be able to play in Canada. Not sure if that was federal or provincial, but Bushnevich, of course, played versus Seattle and scored. I like Falk for speaking up. St. Louis essentially having a mandated healthy scratch. St. Louis 3-1 road win in Vancouver Sunday. Late in the first, Vancouver beat St. Louis goalie Villa Huso, but a net front deflection beauty by Justin Falk ties it at one. Huso makes 20 saves in the first period. Two second period St. Louis goals, a power play goal by St. Louis's Braden Shen and Jordan Kai Ruse team leading 16th make it a 3-1 St. Louis lead even though Vancouver has a decided shot on goal advantage in the middle frame after having won in the first period. The middle frame it was 11-4 and they had nothing to show for it. A 7-3 Vancouver shot on goal advantage in a scoreless third. 39-17 shots on goal advantage for Vancouver in the loss. By the way Ryan Reynolds played Van Wilder and he's a resident of Vancouver. Vancouver goalie Michael DiPietro, who we don't know as much as Ryan Reynolds, or prior to this game at all, to be quite honest with you, 22 years old, fifth on Vancouver's goalie depth chart, made his NHL debut as the other four were not allowed to play for COVID or injuries. And while St. Louis did not have forward Pavel Bushnevich, as we mentioned, Vancouver was missing key regulars, of equivalent playing value and more of them. St. Louis was opportunistic and on the backs of their stellar goaltending in Huso snagged the points. I have no other issue than maybe St. Louis didn't pile it on and blow out Vancouver in their own building. Maybe they should have as Monday on the second half of the back-to-back St. Louis simply weren't ready to play. St. Louis 7-1 road loss in Calgary Monday. Keeping with the St. Louis trend of winning when allowing the first goal against, like in Vancouver, 15th time, and scoring the first goal to then lose, as St. Louis did in Calgary the 11th time this year, is well expected. Calgary, disappointed by their effort versus provincial rival Edmonton, showed up to play. Three unanswered after St. Louis's Tyler Bozak opened the scoring to have Calgary up 3-1. Four more in the second to put the game out of reach with St. Louis goalie Jordan Bennington tagged for all seven of them before a mercy pull to start the third. 
Calgary had near as many goals after two with seven as St. Louis had in shots on goal with nine. Calgary was at 35 shots on goal through 40 minutes by comparison. That was while watching the second near to a four to one shot on goal difference pace. Bennington's 28 saves in 40 minutes more than the 20 saves Calgary goalie Jacob Markstrom needed over the full 60 minutes, with more than half of those by St. Louis in the scoreless third. And while surprised by St. Louis goalie Huso starting versus Nashville, and actually a bit by consecutive games in Seattle when he got a shutout, I wasn't by a start in Vancouver because Calgary being the better team on back-to-backs, I expected St. Louis would put Bennington in the more competitive of the two games. Now, a 2-1 to shot on goal disparity on an off night on the road on back-to-backs is understandable. This scheduled game was a St. Louis disadvantage. That still doesn't make up for the roster no-show through 40 that sadly it's Bennington who, getting the opportunity to play, suffers through most. Considering the teams play each other in St. Louis Thursday and with only Calgary having to play on the road the game before circumstances, See how the league balances this stuff out? You just want to see St. Louis return the lopsided score, and especially then we can forget how St. Louis didn't show up in a rare instance this year. So long as St. Louis doesn't make it become a recurring theme, and I don't think they do. St. Louis, 42 games played, 25-12-5 record, 55 points. Second in the central, 655 point percentage streak, losers of one. Goal differential, plus 31. St. Louis is tied in points with Nashville, but also has a game in hand. And St. Louis don't make up ground by the All-Star break. They will actually have two games in hand when play resumes on Nashville, the team tied with them in points. St. Louis, home as I mentioned Thursday to Calgary and Saturday to division rival Winnipeg are the two games for St. Louis leading up to the All-Star break. St. Louis very well could do some running up the score retribution at home over those games. Think Justin Falk has a few more St. Louis teammates who are now less fans of Canada additionally to him now. Nashville had a lone game as having played the divisions most so far. They will, including the games covered in this podcast, play the fewest going into the NHL All-Star break. They still took care of business in the game they played. Nashville, 4-1 home win to Detroit Saturday. Scoreless first, Detroit's 29th ranked power play held off the board in two tries. In the second, Nashville power play goal to open the scoring. Nick Cousins threw a net front screen. Nashville's Philip Forsberg sets up Matt DeShane in the slot, but a late Detroit goal ends Nashville goalie UC Saros' shutout bid on a stretch pass breakaway goal coming out of the penalty box by Detroit. Prior, Nashville defenseman Matthias Ekholm kept a sure Detroit goal out of the net using his skate in the paint. In the third, Forsberg's second gets him to 20 goals for the year, and DeShane's second into an empty net has him arrive at 19. Don't let the final score fool you. This game felt close start to finish even with Nashville up 3-1 and a two-goal lead. I didn't feel Nashville goalie Saros' one goal against 28 saves that he was going to give up any more goals, but Nashville wasn't dominant in front of him. Nashville was timely in using their chances to find goal production. Detroit's Todd Bertuzzi and Nashville's Matt Benning had a good tilt late in the second. Detroit's inability to generate on their lowly ranked power play going 0-5 also a major reason why Detroit lost. Having played the most games of the Central Division teams, a light schedule for Nashville headed into the All-Star break is earned. It's not like the teams will make up games in hand over this stretch comparatively. But let's talk about what are the keys to the first half for Nashville. Hands down, Nashville goalie UC Saros has been the division's best goalie without question, and his above-average stellar play continues. Additionally, top defenseman Roman Yossi and forward Philip Forsberg are over a point-per-game point production. Matt DeShane, Mikhail Granlin, and Ryan Johansson, the unexpected trio that are this season near to point-wise point-per-game production, and that with more secondary scoring has this Nashville team where it sits above the playoff cutoff. 
If you're expecting a drop-off in Saros's play, there is no signs of it on the horizon. Honestly, the core near-point-per-game group doesn't seem to look like they will slow either. A downtrend by one of those keys would be a challenge for this team. However, the expectation that both would happen is becoming less plausible as Nashville banks points and plays above 600-point percentage hockey. Nashville, 43 games played, 26-14-3 record, 55 points, third in the central in points, fourth in point percentage at 640, streak, winners of two, goal differential plus 16. Nashville goes on the road for two games this week and play tonight in Seattle and Thursday in Edmonton. You could say Nashville could help Central Division teams doing well on that two-game road trip especially the game against Edmonton as far as the wildcard pitcher goes. However, mostly Nashville can help themselves keep pace with the three Central Division teams by winning. Nashville will have an advantage in their offense versus Seattle. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. And an advantage in net versus Edmonton that I like Nashville's chances in both games for opposite reasons, no less. That's kind of the story of the season for Nashville. Nashville has a really healthy competitive balance. Only St. Louis has fewer games prior to the All-Star break than Nashville remaining. Nashville will have the most game played with Chicago when the teams all arrive at the All-Star break. Nashville continues to have a lower point percentage than Colorado, St. Louis, and Minnesota. All those teams simply just continue to win. Nashville keeping pace requires winning as well, but it doesn't advance Nashville up the Central Division standings. It just keeps them securely above the playoff cutoff line in doing so. Banking points simply forces other teams to win games in hand. Let's take a break and come back with the teams below the playoff cutoff line next on Central Division Hockey, the podcast. (laughs) 
Welcome back. As we move to our wildcard playoff battleground team hopefuls, Dallas has moved ahead of Winnipeg by three points with one more game played. Strength of schedule would make the team so close. Winnipeg and Dallas flip into standings a probable one, as it has. Oddly, Winnipeg, who didn't win versus tougher teams, looked better than Dallas did in winning against weaker ones. Ah, but all that matters is getting the points. Dallas did. Dallas 5-4 overtime went in Detroit Friday. This was a back-to-back after the 5-4 power play field regulation win in Buffalo for Dallas, just to refresh your memory. That wasn't a template for sustained winning. Dallas's Ryan Suter scores a soft goal on Detroit goalie Alex Nedeljkovic, and a Detroit goal ties it 23 seconds after. A bottom forward depth goal by Yoel Kiviranta, his first of the year in the second, is again Less than two minutes later, one that Detroit gets back. Detroit then take the lead, but another late soft goal against by Detroit goalie Nedeljkovic, scored by Essel Lindell, ties the game. A rare Detroit power play goal gives them the lead, and Dallas's Jason Robertson gets the late 6-on-5 equalizer to force extra time. That allows Dallas on their fifth power play try to get the overtime game-winning goal from Rope Hintz. I'm not sure Dallas beats Detroit without the two soft goals let in by Detroit goalie Ndelkovic. He didn't have a good game. Additionally, Dallas still needed overtime to win. It extends Dallas's win streak to two on the road trip against rather underperforming, rebuilding Eastern Conference teams. It's expected that Dallas wins these games. Dallas goalie Braden Holtby wins both games as he started, and with it has a 500 win-loss record. His eight goals against in the two games was borderline adequate, only because Dallas outscored the goals against he gave up to win the games. Dallas defenseman John Klingberg had a helper on the overtime game-winning goal by Hintz, and that was after a four-assist night in Buffalo. He still hasn't been traded, but over the last two games, he played like he was aware he actually still played for Dallas. Dallas, a 3-1 road win in Philadelphia Monday. An untimely Philadelphia D-pinch sends Dallas's Rope Hints on a breakaway, and he scores five-hole on Philadelphia goalie Carter Hart late in the first to put Dallas up 1-0. Just past the midpoint of the game, Philadelphia get a goal that is deflected by Dallas defenseman John Klingberg, skate past Dallas goalie Jake Oninger. That's the only one that does get past Oninger as he makes 27 saves for the win. The penalty-free game, it was finally some offensive zone time pressure in the last 10 minutes of regulation that led to Dallas's Jason Peterson's game-winning goal with 325 left in regulation. Dallas's Joel Pavelski added an empty net goal. Philadelphia looked like a team that extended their losing streak to 12 games. They looked awful. Dallas wasn't decisively better till late, and they should have been way better. Philly lineup-wise was using just about any body available, including playing journeyman defenseman Nick Sealer as a forward. Philadelphia defenseman Keith Yandel tied Doug Jarvis's NHL record Ironman streak, playing his 964 consecutive game regular season. Dallas goalie Ottinger and Philadelphia goalie Hart were solid at both ends of the rink, but neither were required to be spectacular because the team's offenses respectively were quiet most of this game. It's a Dallas win and another road win for Dallas against teams they ought to be winning by a larger margin against than they have during this current three-game road win streak. It is what it is. Needed points they should be getting and are getting, but also a clear false narrative that they are actually playing way better than the mediocre competition minimum that Dallas is showing to win these games. The win streak is competition-based, and once Dallas has to face tougher, better teams, they are going to need to elevate to be able to win those games. Points, Camp Mass's team still isn't a very good road team. Dallas, 39 games played, 21-16-2 record, 44 points, 5th in the Central, 564 point percentage, streak, winners of 3, goal differential, minus 5. Dallas finished a four-game road trip they're currently on 
with a back-to-back tonight in New Jersey. I really do expect another win from this Dallas team in this back-to-back set. New Jersey's issues with goaltending, one of the reasons, and they are incomplete in their rebuilding still otherwise. The two games after Dallas plays before the All-Star break is when I'm less confident with how Dallas is playing, but it's three home games just against better teams. Dallas, save for that Montreal what-the-fuck home game, is absolutely way better at home. Friday versus Washington, Sunday versus Boston. There is a real opportunity for the Dallas win streak to continue because they play on home ice. The teams are tougher competition, and that is the challenge for Dallas to be able to keep it going. Winnipeg continued to have to play good Eastern Conference teams that concluded eight in a row with a back-to-back afternoon road set. However, the games were spread out simply because Winnipeg's home dates over that stretch were all postponed. Winnipeg, 3-2 road loss in Boston Saturday. An early depth forward goal by Winnipeg's Jansen Harkins. A Boston equalizer and a late period Winnipeg goal by Andrew Kopp had Winnipeg up 2-1 after 20. The lone second period goal by Boston ties the game and the game's lone power play goal also by Boston less than four minutes into the third proves to be the game winner. Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois took Boston's Charlie Coyle hard into the end boards to dislodge the glass as a memorable moment. Winnipeg goalie Connor Halbeck three goals against 29 saves in the loss. Captain Blake Wheeler and top four defenseman Brendan Dillon returned to Winnipeg's lineup in the loss. Winnipeg is starting games on time, getting the lead on the road even. They didn't finish strong in Boston, and special teams was the difference. It's not to say Winnipeg's power play hasn't had movement or looks, but the finish in actual goals is what's missing. Defensively, they are in the game. The power play was 0 for 4, and that includes three power play opportunities after giving up the Boston power play goal that ended up being the winner. Likewise, Winnipeg's goals off the rush are picking up. That's a strength, but they need to score more goals to win games. You have to go back to Winnipeg's 5-4 overtime win on January 2nd, the first road game of this eight-game stretch when Winnipeg scored more than three goals in a game. Winnipeg, a 3-2 shootout road loss in Pittsburgh Sunday. Deja vu, but only because of the 3-2 score. It's an off-the-rush goal by Blake Wheeler opening scoring on a backhander as Winnipeg starts on time again and gets an early lead. Winnipeg's Kyle Connors team-leading 22nd on the power play extends the lead as the lone second period tally. Nine seconds of play in the third and all the effort is undone. Pittsburgh's Kasperi Kapanen does an excellent skate net front deflection goal, no kicking motion, and on the dump-in, that might accurately be icing, but ends up having to be played by Winnipeg goalie Hellbuck, rather than, I think, have it end up in the net front slot, but in playing it, it lands on the four-check stick of Pittsburgh's Jeff Carter, and he, from the bad angle, banks it in off Hellebuck because he's out of position before he can recover. Pittsburgh ends up getting the shootout winner for the extra point. Firstly, as critical as I have been prior to this game versus Pittsburgh of Winnipeg needing to generate more offense, they absolutely did in this game in the amount of chances that were 10-bell quality and in the first period alone that were big-time saves by Pittsburgh goalie Tristan Jari and additionally through the game and multiple posts by Winnipeg. The story primarily of this game is Jari's goaltending. Secondly, Winnipeg goalie Helba can't be faulted for that end board bounce or the last minute decision to play the puck. It's unfortunate and a net front deflection he shouldn't be faulted for on the first goal either. Winnipeg only picked up the loser point, but they did deserve better. Better compete and with goals including the power play goal, Winnipeg did get our signs that if Winnipeg start getting a bounce instead of having one goal against them, they are playing the right way to have a chance to win. Now, it's that finishing ability to win that's required. Some schedule normalcy in a rhythm combined with seeing the rewards of the work they could string together a much-needed win streak. Winnipeg had defensemen Dylan DeMello and Logan Stanley out and the return of Brendan Dillon, whom, for some reason, certain Winnipeg fans want to trade to get another defenseman. The same fans want Logan Stanley to sit out permanently and want additionally Nathan Beaulieu waived. Something this Winnipeg team lacks is overall sandpaper. 
Yes, we can talk about the best puck-moving skill defenseman Winnipeg has, and you can put Morshi Schmidt, Pionk DeMello, and I guess Hanola with Sandberg on the bottom pairing of the best puck-moving skill defenseman in the organization. Who will be the 7th, 8th, ninth Winnipeg defenseman organizationally? For example, when Tanner Janot or St. Louis's Logan Browns or most teams with heavy forecheck watch Florida in the next game and forward size take liberties and all those skilled defensemen are sitting on injured reserve. An NHL defense best constructed has skill and size in balance. So when Nashville's Janot, who did cross-check Schmidt, when they recently played, it was Stanley stepping up so that shit doesn't happen for the rest of the game. Is Billy Hanola stepping up? No, and that's not his skill set, and especially with Winnipeg having Dylan out in that game, Stanley has to play if available to have that D-group required element. Now, ideally, you could pair Billy Hanola with, in the Pittsburgh game, the injured Dylan DeMello, but he couldn't play. You are then asking either Hanola and Sandberg, both left-hand defensemen, that in limited attempts at the NHL level, Hanola did play his off-handed side and it didn't maximize his skill set, and or Sandberg, who hasn't done it once at the NHL level, and pairing them together. A lot of inexperience there. This team isn't sitting where Chicago is for open roster auditions. Veteran Nathan Beaulieu coming to play his off-handed side with Sandberg and or Hanola was the Winnipeg team's best available option without DeMello for the bottom pair. In its current makeup, only Dylan and Stanley of the defense regulars provide the back-end grit, and I would say Beaulieu, as his fight versus Pittsburgh demonstrates, knows that's something he has to try to add to his game when he is inserted into the lineup. None of which is simply to do with who's the more skilled player, but with playing or playing with size. Winnipeg can't swap Panola for Stanley playing in the Central Division, save for, I don't know, games versus Colorado and Chicago. Take Minnesota's top defense prospect, NHL-ready Kalen Addison, who is a good NHL comparison for Panola. He came into Minnesota's lineup missing a vet similar skill set player, Jared Spurgeon. But when Spurgeon was healthy in return, Minnesota didn't take out bottom pair vets with size, Kulikov or Ben or Merrill. They didn't come out of the lineup. Minnesota didn't keep too many smaller skilled D-men in their lineup. They simply took out the prospect Addison. And really, knock on wood, it's an injury to Winnipeg's Josh Morrissey that I hope does not happen at all, that Hanola, as a left-hand D, would likewise have an actual opening to be in the lineup, or a loss of both Schmidt and Pionk at the same time to have to add a puck-moving skill defenseman in the even tougher assignment of Hanola having to play his off-handed side. That's when you see him. And that hasn't happened yet. And hopefully doesn't happen. And all the skilled defensemen Winnipeg currently has that have more NHL experience continue to play. All of which the goaltending and Winnipeg's defense isn't why Winnipeg's below expected wins. Talk about missing the plot. Winnipeg need more goal production five on five and on special teams and especially from their bottom six to win more often. And when Nick Ehlers returns from injury, likely it's Cole Perfetti that comes out. Perfetti deserves to stay in the lineup. The Winnipeg forward roster construction, I'm going to have to save for the next edition because I've already gone on too long. Ehlers is out for a bit as it is. And it's also because Winnipeg fans made me explain the non-issue defense construction. Winnipeg 38 games played, 17-14-7 record, 41 points, 6 in the Central Division. 539 point percentage that's going down even with overtime losses streak overtime loss of one goal differential minus three winnipeg plays at home tonight to another elite over 700 point percentage team florida who luckily aren't as dominant in road games but they will be a full value test winnipeg home to vancouver thursday and then play in st louis saturday for a division head-to-head with Winnipeg getting two points out of a possible eight on the four-game road trip 
that was now completed. The requirement is to put the win back into Winnipeg as often as 32 Thoughts Elliot Friedman does when he incorrectly abbreviates the city name. Looking at the third-tier pair of teams currently that won't make this year's playoffs, recapping the scores from the division head-to-head games I talked about in Minnesota segment, Chicago 5-1 home loss to Minnesota Friday. Again, Chicago goalie Flurry isn't at fault as Minnesota scored some good goals in this game, and given Chicago managed a single goal, whoever was in net for Chicago would have had to have posted a shutout in order for Chicago to win. I believe Chicago's forward depth team issues are entirely of their own doing, but I really dislike that interim coach Derek King separated Alex DeBrinkett and Patrick Kane. That has been the most consistent duo while missing a third piece to constitute an actual top line Chicago has. Additionally, neither center Jonathan Taves or Kirby Dock get slotted with those two as wingers, yet somehow you can't put Dock on the wing with Taves as they both still have to play center with, quite honestly, all underperforming wingers that shuffle and shuffle. Pretty sure I said at the beginning of the year this team has five players of a top six that were identifiable and that I'd put Dylan Strome between Kane and the Cat with Taves at center with Doc and Dominic Kubalik to make Chicago's top six. Tyler Johnson was the question mark. And my idea was to slot him between Hegel and someone on the third line. But I suppose Hendrik Borgstrom, in Johnson's absence due to injury, with Hegel and Philip Kurashev on right wing, and I don't care who the third winger was with Ryan Carpenter and Jujar Kara on the low-minute fourth line, but those two guys were the guys identified as being on the fourth line as regulars. And all these players additionally, bottom six-wise, fourth liners, Entwistle, Reese Johnson, Brett Connolly, Ad Sam Lafferty, are all bouncing all over the place in the lineup amongst the forward group and essentially allowing Chicago to have zero lines of offense now. The perspective of the win streak that Flurry stole a game against his old team, Vegas, and the other teams weren't good, lost that Chicago actually thought they had found a formula. Chicago 4-3 OT road loss in Minnesota Saturday. Borkstrom sitting out healthy returns to get two goals to match his four for the year. And Chicago did work to generate offense, and they have to for the lack of line chemistry. Brandon Hagel, third line top nine guy, should not be leading the forward group in time on ice. In the 4-3 overtime loss to Minnesota, he did. Honestly, without Florianette, there wasn't a reason for me to want to see Chicago succeed and win this game. Goalie Lankinen was adequate. I was really hoping Flurry started after he was pulled because he didn't have a heavy workload because he was pulled the night prior. Chicago could have went back to him. That's what I would have done. Flurry, prior to the home loss to Minnesota, publicly said he wants to help the Chicago team get into the playoffs. Chicago, I keep saying, needs to get to 500 for the first time this year before we can start having playoff talk. Given Flurry wants to stay and the team has Seth Jones locked up and Kane and Taves, actually McCabe as well is locked up for a number of years, they really need to give another couple of years at a retool. However, that requires some actual vision and absolutely a new set of eyes from outside fixing this. And to me, that includes moving on from Kyle Davidson and maybe letting Coach King look after Rockford next year. That's not what's going to happen. But I tell you, this current interim group isn't making things better, short or long term. And every little win streak, it seems like stories pop up that great change being made. Chicago's own player overvaluation to me is the key Chicago issue. In fact, I will see what Chicago does, but I think the issues go back to the offseason prior to last, and it's been a downward series of more mistakes than good decisions made since. Adding Monday's game, 
with what you just heard me say about Chicago prior. You can hear a game summary of the Chicago 2 nothing road loss to Colorado Monday in the Colorado segment like the summary for the two versus Minnesota are in the Minnesota segment. This I've added on. And I think the Monday Chicago result is just now Exhibit A. Chicago goalie Marc-Andre Fleury is stellar and keeps Chicago in a game on the road versus the NHL's best point percentage team, Colorado. And while, and they are, under Coach King, defensively better than they were prior, and there is a slight uptick with Chicago on their goal production comparative to what it was under Colleton, it's still lower than the goals allowed. And this current forward lineup construction is narrowing in on zero goal production. You can't win a 0-0 game. Chicago, 42 games played, 15-27 record, 37 points, 7th in the Central, 440 point percentage. Streak losers of one goal differential, minus 38. Chicago goalie Kevin Lankinen, after his relief and first start in a while, ended up being placed on IR with a right-hand injury after the game in Minnesota. Chicago starter Flurry was able to get some rest before his standout loss performance in Colorado. Chicago play a road game in Detroit Wednesday and are home to division rival Colorado as they play each other again Friday. And an additional two games prior to the All-Star break next week that will have Chicago match Nashville for the division team with the most games played before the All-Star break. Even if Chicago were to win out the remaining games prior to the break, that seems unlikely, they still won't reach 500 at the All-Star break. I'm interested to see how close to it Chicago can be. Arizona returns to the regular scheduled losing program. Arizona 4-0 loss to the New York Islanders Friday. Arizona goalie Scott Wedgwood returns to the lineup. He makes 31 saves and gives up four goals. The Isles get two in the first and two in the third, while keeping Arizona to 17 total shots on goal for the game. The New York Islanders having one shot more than a 2-1 to one shot on goal advantage over the whole game. Arizona offensively didn't really challenge New York Islander goalie Ilya Sorokin, who picked up the shutout, and Arizona didn't draw a single penalty against the Isles, and that really is another indication of when a team isn't offensively creating chances to force a team to actually take a penalty. I actually found the pace the Isles played at to make the game watchable. Arizona didn't offer anything to highlight. I guess you could say they had the Shane Wright stuff. Arizona 7-3 road loss to the New York Rangers Saturday. For 30 minutes, it was Arizona's game. This one was amazing. A Liam O'Brien goal opened the scoring. I'm never going to say that again this year. The New York Rangers tie it, and Arizona's Andrew Ladd gets a net front goal to put Arizona 2-1 after one, while Arizona had a 16-4 shot on goal advantage. That's a season-high shot on goal for Arizona for a single period. And one shot less than they had the entire game against the Islanders the night before in these back-to-back games. Arizona's Clayton Keller makes it 3-1 to Arizona before the midpoint of the second. All right, that's it. That's all I can get excited for because you got to cue the Blue Shirts comeback with a shorthanded goal, an even strength goal, and a power play goal as Arizona forward Yohan Larson is goaded into an undisciplined roughing penalty in the offensive zone. The New York Rangers add another goal in a four-goal second period, and it's 5-3 Rangers after 40 minutes. The New York Rangers take control in the third, add two more goals, including an additional power play goal that gives Chris Kreider a hattie, and at the time, NHL leading 29th goal to tie with Washington's Ovechkin's two goals versus Ottawa that night for the same top spot goal total in the NHL. Arizona finished the game ahead in shots on goal, 29-27 for the game in the loss. They also went the last 9 minutes 41 seconds of the second without getting a shot on goal. And why for 30 minutes Arizona, because the New York Rangers didn't start fully playing till the game's midpoint, had a two-goal lead to then give up six unanswered and lose. 
Arizona goalie Corral Vamelka, six goals against 14 saves before he was mercy pulled. And Arizona goalie Wedgwood had one goal against six saves in relief. Also, in the first half of the game, New York Ranger forward Ryan Reeves lined up on a center ice faceoff opposite Arizona's Liam O'Brien. O'Brien, I'm sure, was asked to oblige Reeves to scrap and didn't. Just saying when Arizona Bally Sports color entertainer Tyson Nash is chirping about O'Brien's taking on anyone in the NHL, it's a load of BS. O'Brien picks who he will scrap while avoiding a lot of other guys that probably would embarrass him toe-to-toe. Given O'Brien had scored the first goal, a fight at that point was one of the requirements needed for a Gordy Howe, Hattie and O'Brien turned down the invite. The latest defenseman Jacob Chikrin trade rumors is one team did offer the three first-rounder ask Arizona GM Bill Armstrong wants. That's a current player that was a first-round pick, a top prospect in the system that is a first-round pick, and a future first-round pick. Sportsnet's 32 Thoughts, Jeff Merrick named six teams very much in the mix still, L.A., Anaheim, Boston, Florida, the New York Rangers, and Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. Also, I had suggested last podcast Arizona trade goalie Vamelka away because he was playing too good. Reports in the same Saturday segment actually are that Arizona is looking to get a deal in place to resign Veggie. Also, I underestimated Edmonton's cheapness to get a goalie. Seems they don't want to trade more than a fourth-round pick to get one that is, well, essentially actually not pursuing trying to get one of quality at all. NHL insider Pierre Lebrun recently reported Dallas goalie Anton Hudobin as goalies Edmonton inquired about. Arizona 10-26-4 record, 24 points, 8th in the central, 300-point percentage, streak loss of two games, goal differential minus 63. Arizona finishes off the four-game road trip they're on tonight in Pittsburgh. They're 1-2-0 on the road trip, and then they come home to play back-to-back games Friday versus Boston and the next night Saturday versus Buffalo. I felt Buffalo in their win over Nashville and close loss to Dallas of the recent games I've watched Buffalo play is playing more competitive and with better scoring punch than I saw earlier in the year. That's realistically Arizona's lone chance to win before the All-Star break, and it will require Arizona gets a standout performance in net from Wedgwood or Vimelka to pull it off. Who knows who they start in that game? I think it's possible Arizona doesn't win a game in any of the five prior to the All-Star break. I'm going to pay our look at the Pacific Division and wildcard implications for the Central Division forward till the All-Star break. Just jammed additional four games into this edition by including Mondays, and I'm attempting to be mindful of the total podcast episode runtime. Thanks for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your NHL outsider, Tim Bigelow. Subscribe to the podcast and YouTube page for free and follow me at SendDivHockey on Twitter for more. you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want i'll have an old-fashioned i'll have a margarita now you can with the bartesian home cocktail maker bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button choose from over 50 different cocktails from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today you'll always get freshly mixed perfectly balanced cocktails with the bartesian cocktail maker and now get bartesian's best black friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday entertaining the bartesian is ideal for parties no need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds the bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail now get bartesian's best black friday deal ever it's available right now 
only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 